Hey, welcome back to another episode of State of the Art. I hope you're all having a good quarantine time at home. <laughs> if you're hearing this during the coronavirus outbreak, that's what I'm doing. So hopefully every week we're going to bring you another artist that you can listen to in your off time. Feel free to send us some questions at State of the Art on Instagram or Twitter or Gabe at thestateoftheart.org if you want to email me directly. Uh, I hope you enjoyed last week's episode with Heidi Lee. If you haven't heard that yet, go back and listen to it. Super interesting uh, artist who makes hats. So we get into how to design these amazing 3D printed hats that are shown all over the world and worn by celebrities like Jennifer Lopez and all sorts of other people. Uh, this week, uh, well, let's let's see here. I've been sitting at home for a while now, about three weeks now total. Um, trying to stay active and engaged with my own work, although it's hard to make things during this time, I've found. I don't know if that's been hard for you as well. But we're going to speak to an artist this week uh, who's in Turkey currently. It's John Björkberber. Uh, maybe you've seen his work before. He creates sort of giant-scale, immersive audiovisual experiences um, in geodesic domes, in virtual reality. He creates sculptures that really can't even be created in our world. Uh, we've done a couple shows together in the past, and he's a really great guy, and I was really excited to talk to him this week. Uh, so without further ado, uh, John, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Gabe. So how are you doing? Where are you right now? Um, I'm right now in Turkey. Uh, it's a city called Izmir. It's my hometown. I've been visiting my family, and I'm kind of stuck here right now at home. <laughs> yeah, how is the uh, quarantine going in Turkey? Um, I mean, it's, it's pretty serious. Like the rest of the world, the same stuff is happening here as well. Um, all I know is the numbers are lower than, you know, other Euro European countries like Spain or Italy. So I, I think we've been handling it well, but, uh, we are also cautious just staying in houses. I, I heard the international flights are now totally canceled and also traveling in between cities is also uh it's limited right now so we're all staying in houses right yeah trying to keep everybody safe yeah thank are you, you uh, how, how are you in new york uh you know it's all right in new york um you know that new york is sort of the epicenter in the united states for what's going on here um and so we're all trying to stay inside as much as possible and hopefully our listeners are too um but uh you know it's it's New York. So the people are still on their balconies shouting things and clapping every night. And, um, you know, we're trying to get through this. I think it's hopefully we'll bring the world a little closer together by the end of it. Are you at home thinking about new projects or are you finding it hard to think about that during this time period? Um, I mean, I had a few new ideas, you know, in my head I've been thinking about, but it seems like I became quite lazy these last few weeks. So, um, I, I feel like it's a better time to learn new stuff and, you know, just take my, take some time off. I've been playing more games lately that I didn't have a chance to play games almost in the last 10 years. What are you playing? So, Anything really good? Um, I'm currently playing this new Half-Life, uh, VR game, Alex. Uh, it's, it's really cool. I, I, I guess it's one of the best virtual reality games so far so I, i've been having really fun with that and you make vr so what, let, maybe we could back up now and talk about sort of what led you to the world of immersive art and is that how you describe your work as immersive art or is there a different term that you use yeah um i mean i call myself a visual artist so i i do all sorts of different 
work, you know, uh, but uh, most of my work, it, they are audiovisual experiences and they use somehow space and immersion. So uh, I think it's fair to say they are immersive art. And how do you define immersion in your work? Um, immersion, uh, it's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I feel like immersion and experience, they are two important keywords for my work. Um, so I've, I've been working with um, spaces and architectural spaces. So it, it, it allowed me to create a more spatial work. So in a way, I'm able to put audiences in different spaces. So in in its core, it becomes an immersive experience because uh, uh, audiences can travel in either VR environments or geodesic dome environments or rooms with the help of digital technologies like projectors or headsets. So um, as a big uh, movie fan, it just allowed me to create experiences where the audiences can travel to those spaces but not just see them on screens basically so the idea like the goal for you is sort of to be able to walk into a movie exactly be like a character exactly. in that movie yeah exactly and was there a specific moment that sort of led you to creating this sort of work like were you watching a film and thought oh i want to be able to be a character in that film or was it um, more of seeing a another artwork yeah uh, definitely, it was a progression and experimenting with different media. And so the first, I, I guess, the first thing that allowed me to create those sorts of experiences was um, use of projection mapping techniques. So that was the first time um, I was able to uh, create a work outside of screen because most of my work is digital. And when I first created, uh, it wasn't. Um, undergrad studies. Uh, we were in a workshop in Cologne in Germany. So they asked us to create a installation or artwork, basically. And we were thinking about what we can do. And that was my first time I thought about, okay, let's try this projection mapping stuff. And it was a very, you know, lo-fi work. But um, that was the first time I did that. And then it progressively became uh, more architectural work and then domes and then VR. So it, it was a progression since maybe 2010. And how do you start thinking about a new work? Do you start with the, the digital content, like for a projection mapping piece? Do you think mm -hmm. about the space first or do you think about the content? And how do those two go together for you? Yeah. So, I mean, chronologically, if I think about that, you know, there were some times that I was focusing on my personal work. There were times I received, um, you know, commissioned artwork for different spaces. There were more commercial projects. Uh, I worked as an art director. So there was always these kind of overlaps and intersections between personal work, commissioned artworks and commercial work. Um, so there definitely was a progression in terms of how to formalize my pipeline basically creative pipeline for these sort of projects um but um probably the first projects that i always do with a new kind of uh, media for instance like vr uh that's always a personal work and it's always a 
first technical exploration, understanding the media, how we can create new experiences, new artworks using this new media. So understanding how to work with that or how to transfer some of my either existing assets from different projects or aesthetics or, you know, experiential techniques that I use. So understanding that media comes first uh, so that I can tailor an experience that is that uses the advantages and strong points of that new media, but not just, you know, transfer an existing artwork to that. Um, that always inspires me because there's always a new approach I can explore. I can, you know, um, find uh, with a new media. Um, and then, you know, I generally have a philosophical idea or concept that intrigues me in that specific time in my life um, and that somehow conceptually reflects itself and then there's this aesthetic exploration and uh, building basically an experience uh, by combining all this media exploration conceptual um, um, exploration and also aesthetic exploration how do you describe your aesthetic choices in your work? Because it's a very clear, just clearly defined aesthetic, but I'm not even sure how to categorize it myself. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, so let's think about it <laughs> together, okay? Um, I So I have different inspirations. Um, so I studied design um, and science and arts. You know, I, I have a background. I'm a, a physics dropout, and then I studied visual communication design, and then I did my... Uh, grad studies in arts and technology. So each different discipline um, inspired me to create my own aesthetics. So um, there is a strong design influence in that sense. I love grids and simple shapes, basic design, minimalist um, um, color palettes or forms. Um, and then there is the scientific inspiration that I think comes from physics like uh, scientific uh, schemas or, um, you know, particle physics and how we visualize scientific theories, basically. Uh, so that informs me as well. And then um, I like parametric architecture and organic forms and complex uh, visualizations as well. So I guess when you put all these different uh, influences and disciplines all together, I somehow develop develop my own aesthetics but there is also a big emphasis in um a sculptural approach to form form making and also um using um lights and space as well yeah maybe we can talk about a specific sculptural piece you've done like um, i'm thinking morphogenesis because this is one of the dome pieces right yes and what is it like working with a giant dome? <laughs> how do you go about creating a, a piece for that? Can you describe how this piece looks? Sort of like if we were to walk into the dome, what would we feel mm -hmm. and see? Yeah. Um, I mean, working with domes is amazing. It's it's really inspiring for me. Um, I think first time I experienced a dome piece was in 2012 in uh, Montreal, Canada. And they have this beautiful space called SAT Society for Arts and Technology, and they have this huge uh, permanent dome installation. Um, they showcase works, art, artistic and experimental works that is specifically created for those kind of settings. 
So when I first saw that uh, space, I was super inspired because when you lay down in a dome, uh, it covers your whole peripheral vision. So it it is the most efficient way, I, I think, to create an immersive experience because you lose yourself in that media, basically. So there are no frames in a way, which is also very similar to virtual reality. But the good thing about this is it's a communal experience. So everybody experiences the same thing. Um, so uh, the, the feeling of immersion is very strong. And when you specifically create your content for that kind of media, which is either a spherical rendering technique or an equi-rectangular 360 rendering technique, it somehow um, creates that illusion of perspective. So for instance, if you're looking to a tall building, it really looks like a tall building. You know, it's it, it, it just um, encompasses uh, of that um, dome surface, but it becomes like a real uh, vision experience. So it, it, it was technically very inspiring, and that was the time uh, when I started my uh, grad studies at San, in San Francisco uh, at uh, SFAI, and um, I had this idea of creating a dome experience uh, after seeing that uh, space. So when I was exploring how can I create, you know, content for this uh, media, and I, I also at the same time explored hey this looks very similar to content creation uh, for virtual reality as well so that came in hand to hand um at the same time i was creating my first vr experience with that as well so i had this prior experience in um architectural projection mapping pieces those were the kind of experiences i was creating at that time this is like 2015 or 14 so I already had this, um, in a way, developed aesthetic approach to creating, you know, creating um, audiovisual experiences. And I somehow tried to transfer that aesthetics into the VR space. Uh, so it just started as um, aesthetic explorations, like I said. But the challenge was, um, how can I create sort of the similar aesthetics for a 360 space and then it just changes the whole deal because now i need to create spaces not just visuals for 2d uh screens or or projection surfaces so um each um scene each part in that vr experience became a world building process so each scene was a different space or form uh, the cool thing was in VR, when I create these forms, I'm able to put my camera in those forms. So the sculptural form becomes a space uh, that is surrounding you. Um, so that was an interesting thing to explore. Then I built these different spaces and I created this um, fly through between these different spaces and supported it with different you know, emotional soundscapes. Hmm. So juxtaposition of those different spaces and traveling through those different, um, you know, sounds and um, visual spaces became the basic for, um, basis for the morphogenesis experience. So you start with creating these digital spaces and then you place 
virtual cameras inside of them. And then these spaces are sort of flown through. So when we're lying in the middle of this dome, we can mm -hmm. kind of embody these different spaces that don't exist. These are all digital recreations or creations, I should say. Exactly, exactly. And what is the title Morphogenesis about? Like, where did that come from? Um, so that that was a concept that I was really interested in while doing that project. So in general, I'm very uh, fascinated by emergent systems and how um, both like social uh, on a social scale or on a city scale or in an organism organism scale how things uh, form formations by themselves in a self-organized way um, so I, I was interested in that concept and then I was just reading about it and I saw this uh, word morphogenesis which literally means in Greek uh, the beginning of the shape um, and it describes this uh, process in organisms, uh, how they develop their sh uh, forms by uh, certain uh, geometrical patterns. Um, so it just, it seemed like a perfect fit to describe such a project that uses geometry and um, self uh, inspiration from self-organized systems. And I was specifically also interested in uh, organic shapes. Um, so I started with that idea, beginning of the shape, and I formed my own spaces and organic forms. And, you know, um, that became this umbrella concept that that uh, combined all these different elements of the project. Hmm, it's fascinating. Did, was there a specific um, shape from the natural world that you would use in the piece in the digital content? Um, no, it, it was all synthetic, basically, uh, explorations, but, um, I was more interested in, you know, um, maybe how, um, how a human form would shape, you know, um, how an embryo would shape starting with single cell, then, you know, divisions and sec two cells, four cell and all that process. So I feel like in that there is this maybe beginning with more uh, celestial formations, like how big, uh, you know, Big Bang started everything. And then we formed all these, you know, different physical structures. Then came the uh, organic forms and uh, human embryo and how we develop our own full body, you know, and maybe the next steps in that project was how we can transcend beyond this three-dimensional space. Hmm. Um, I think we're, we're definitely going to post, uh, post some photos of morphogenesis on our social media so you can check it out there too. And I'm kind of curious, why do you think there's such a trend towards immersive spaces right now in our, in our society, I guess? It seems like there's more and more pop-up art shows and domes and all sorts of venues for immersion. Do you think there's a, a reason for this trend? Um, I, I think we are very visual-oriented creatures. So uh, that's that's a field right now that's a lot of innovation is happening. And um, cinema is one of the major art, art forms for, you know, more than a century now. And we love movies. We love visual exp audiovisual experiences. And I, I think that immersive um, evolution was happening first with cinema, 
and we we had you know a surround sound and bigger screens and IMAX and 3D glasses, and and I feel like the next step of that evolution is happening now in the immersive art scene, uh, where it was actually predicted long time ago in 60s um, with, um, for instance, media theorist Gene Youngblood has a book called Expanded Cinema, and he has been basically describing the age we're living in right now with holographic displays, how this new um, expanded cinematic um, experiences are going to use uh, abstract audiovisual uh, experiences uh, for a new way of storytelling um, and um, experiences. So r right now there is a lot of innovation with media and you know different softwares and technologies for artists like us to just experiment with these new tools to create different um, new ways of you know storytelling and experiences uh, and i feel like people still although there's all these streaming um you know uh platforms right now uh people still love to be surrounded in a physical space with other people and experience something new that is unfamiliar you know uh yeah yeah so it's a communal experience but it allows us to escape a little bit at the same time i think Mm -hmm. um, can you tell me a little bit about your multiverse series? Is there a, a particular favorite iteration in this series? Yeah, um, multiverse series. Um, it started as a sculptural study again, uh, with similar to a lot of my work. But at that moment, um, th this is in 2017. I was doing this uh, artist residency at uh, Pier Nine, uh, Autodesk created this amazing um, digital fabrication workshop, basically, uh, and they had this amazing uh, artist residency program, and I was super lucky to be there during my uh, grad studies, and I was working on my uh, graduation project. I was interested in the idea of um, creating uh, physical sculptures with 3D printing and putting those uh, sculptures in virtual space by using, you know, different sensors and this was sort of exploring uh, a new way of creating a virtual reality experience in between, you know, physical and digital space by using these uh, sculptural forms. So I was doing that project. And for that, I created a lot of different sculptural ideas inspired by um, physics and futurism and higher dimensional uh, geometry. So I was calling those objects uh, transcendental objects in a way. So um, I was trying to visualize and create forms as if we were able to transport a four-dimensional object into a three-dimensional space. So we, uh, the audiences were interacting with those objects and those objects were becoming um, spaces around them. So that, that 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 it started during that project, and after that project, um, after creating a lot of different you know three D printed objects, I realized um, um, I'm doing all these three D printing processes. I'm consuming all that material, waiting eighty hours uh, for the printing process, 
But at the end, after the exhibition is over, uh, what survives is the photograph uh, images of those sculptures. And that's what I'm able to share, basically, online or, you know, as a documentation. And at the time, I was also exploring uh, photorealistic renderings. And I realized uh, the photorealistic rendering of a sculpture and a 3D printed photograph version of the sculpture looks almost the same. Then I thought, why not? Then I'm, why not um, uh, explore some, you know, large scale versions of these um, objects that can also do some impossible stuff in physical life. And I just freed my imagination and I imagined these giant, you know, uh, installation ideas or kinetic sculptural ideas that is basically uh, impossible to create in physical spaces, but it just freed my imagination. So it became this um, evolving process of um, exploring different form and installation ideas. Um, and then something interesting happened. Uh, I opened my uh, process of creating these sculptures uh, to my followers online and every day I was receiving feedback you know and I was analyzing that feedback um, wh whether it's about its form or the sound or the color and I was responding to that feedback so it just became this open source creation process which was really interesting for me to explore and uh, it also allowed me to uh, create this, um, uh, you know, library of digital content, then um, I was able to exhibit those uh, different pieces in different settings or license them or, um, you know, create larger scale versions in, in real life with large displays, like uh, the renderings themselves, you know, so, so that they start as, the as process sculptures. was really interesting. These, these, mm -hmm. They started as actual uh, forms that you would 3D print. And a lot of them are sort of alien almost looking. <laughs> I'm looking at some of them mm -hmm. right now. Um, and then they would they moved to a digital version, which was screen-based, right? So is that is that the transition? Yeah. I'm trying to make, make this clear. Um, it is correct, yeah. And then eventually you made them so big that they couldn't actually be installed. <laughs> so they are yeah. like huge. I mean, I'm looking at one of these pictures. Uh, it's the Metafold, I think it's called. And it looks like a mm -hmm. giant, like the person in it is the size of an ant here. And the sculpture itself looks like it's like four or five stories tall. And so that's a rendering right. of a proposal for a sculpture, or is that going to actually become a, an actual thing at some point? Yeah, like I said, that um, I was just exploring uh, these hypothetical installation ideas. So the cool thing about it was, you know, that that's when I realized uh, while, while I was making these um, 3D printed sculptures, basically because I was thinking about the size, I was thinking about the you know the material I'm going to consume. So there's a cost coming with that and time, sure. you know, or or like any architectural projects uh, in arch in arch an architect should think about how this how much this is going to cost, what kind of materials I'm going to use, are we going to be able to hold this. Uh, you know, together in physical form, but I just freed my imagination and came up with these impossible maybe ideas to realize. 
but I didn't have any limits. So in digital world, I was able to create all these different ideas. But the cool thing about it, it inspired different people. And then I received some, you know, either commission work. Hey, we have this 60 feet tall uh, LED screen. Why not? Uh, w- let's just make one of these, you know, multiverse sculptures in that screen as if it looks like this uh, physical installation, you know, in that scale. So did you say six, it was 60 a- feet tall? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's huge. Where, where was that? Yeah. Where did that take place? This 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 is in uh, MGM um, National Harbor nearby Washington. They had this huge uh, LED screen over there, and I collaborated with um, Obscure Digital, uh, and it just became the the images and animations uh, from Multiverse series became a permanent uh, became a part of the permanent display over there. But what was it like to see your work at that scale after you started off with these three D prints? To actually see it become a yeah. giant sixty foot tall sculpture, yeah, it just it's it's un, I mean it, it's fascinating, you know, because you first imagine something, then you hold it in your hand, and then you just imagine it bigger, and you know it's actually impossible to make that in real life, but but with the help of these you know enormous screens or projections, they can actually look like. Uh, real, so it, it was just fascinating. To you, is there uh, ever a translation there that that feels awkward to you? Like, do you ever render something and it looks really beautiful on a small screen, and then when you project it out or when you put it on a big sixty foot tall display, it doesn't look how you wanted it to? Um, I mean, it usually looks much better. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, it's the other way around because uh, you know our screens are quite small usually, but when you look at because there's a different. Uh, light power coming out with these, uh, you know, either high-res projectors, laser projectors, or LED screens. So everything usually looks much more impressive on that scale. Yeah, that makes sense. And I'm sure the colors are richer, too. And uh, Exactly. How, how exactly. do people react to your work? Like, are you going for a very specific reaction? Do you want people just to be in awe of it? Do you want them to think deeper about some of these scientific concepts? Um, yeah, I mean, usually I feel like in that big scale, the works usually becomes very uh, meditative and hypnotic. And um, I definitely want to take audiences to that more meditative spaces so they can just relax and, you know, g- give themselves to the experience and just forget themselves for a while while experiencing that. And especially with these large-scale installations and dome experiences, I'm uh, able to do that. And, I mean, that makes me very happy to be able to, you know, relax people and get them out of their minds uh, for a while and just relax and lose themselves in these immersive spaces. Yeah, that makes sense. Can you tell us a little bit about your latest uh, project, Numenon? Yeah. Um, So Numenon is um, currently on display in Zero Space in New York. Um, Zero Space um, is an immersive digital art museum located in Manhattan, uh, nearby Penn Station. And it's a giant... Uh, 25,000 uh, square feet space um, that has multiple 
um, installations, large-scale installations um, with, you know, domes and projection uh, experiences and um, light installations and different interactive media. Um, and I'm one of the artists that is currently um, exhibiting there. And I had this uh, big wall. I guess it's like 40, 50 feet wide uh, wall they gave me. And they just said, do whatever you want, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, it, it was a great setting because I knew that, okay, I'm creating this experience. It's going to be there, you know, for a year. Uh, and they, they created this one hour narrative. There are actors in the space and they guide you through this narrative. So I just wanted to create um, a compelling um, piece and space uh, for that. So um, I went through my work and I basically proposed them something like a semi um um, retrospective work that is specifically uh, created for that site. So it it is actually a combination of my different audiovisual pieces. It has morphogenesis. It has parts from um, multiverse series and a different type of uh, installation work I did. I basically put all those works together with a new sound design I made. It's nearly uh, 20 minutes long. So it, it was really cool to combine all those pieces under this uh, Numenon concept because I always felt like I'm creating something. Uh, with my pieces, I always tend to create something transcendental. And Numenon in Kantian philosophy uh, means um, something we can't pursue with our senses so it is beyond it's something that is in it is in itself um so it is the contrast it's it's the opposite of what is phenomenal in our wor world so i always felt uh, my work and those experiences are related to something beyond so um, I combine all those pieces. We use two um, powerful laser projectors. And I also collaborated with um, uh, Gabriel Shama, um, who is an Oakland-based uh, sculptor. He creates these beautiful laser-cut sculptures. And he had one of his pieces, a very large sculptural piece, at the center of that piece. So when we all combine, when we combine all these different elements, you know, sound design, different uh, audiovisual pieces, which has this uh, transcendental feeling with it. And uh, his his um, esoteric looking, you know, beautiful sacred geometry sculpture, it just became something like a shrine, you know, at the center of that space in zero space. And we have, you know, a nice seating area in front of that and i saw audiences are just laying down and you know watching the experience for for a long time in a very peaceful way so uh, I'm, I'm very happy about the result and also um beside the museum part of uh, zero space they're also using that space where I have the installation for um, musical performances or sometimes uh, yoga practices. So it also um, be becomes 
this virtual stage in a way for those kind of performances and exercises and it just makes me happy to be a part of that to accompany those experiences as well yeah looking at numenon it almost seems like a spiritual piece like it looks sort of like the window of a cathedral (laughs) and sort of like a sci-fi movie way (laughs) do you see an overlap between sort of a spiritual practice and your work i mean you mentioned that people even are doing yoga in front of your work at times i'm curious about that connection i mean i'm i'm so i mean this this is also it just emerged in that way you know i i didn't specifically created that piece for people to have yoga in front of it you know or or have musical performances but i'm glad that it holds that sort of um emotion or space for uh, for those uh experiences to happen you know so i'm i'm glad it somehow became that sort of thing and i'm curious about the design choices here too it seems like the palette is primarily sort of black and white there's a little mm-hmm. bit of earth tones in there. Can you describe and maybe talk, tell us about that decision to go with a very stark contrast black and white image? Yeah, I mean, th- there are a few reasons for that. So there's one technical aspect and there's one more, you know, personal uh, artistic choice. The In the technical aspect, um, the black and white uh, gives us the best contrast with, you know, projected images. So shadow illusions and light illusions are working much better when it's in black and white and also um i wanted to combine all these different pieces with the same color palette so it just made it easier for me to equalize you know all these different pieces in one piece and also um the the artistic choice is probably coming from my you know, personal dreams or uh, hypnagogic states where I experienced this, you know, weird experiences between sleep and uh, a, a waking mind, you know, somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. So th- those experiences I, I realized are usually happening more in monochrome in my experience. Huh. So I just wanted to create that uh, dream space kind of feeling uh but uh by the end of the experience i also introduce uh more golden colors that's also also something that i experienced in my dreams actually there was this very interesting dream um i had several years ago um i i also experienced a lot of like lucid dreaming um lucid dreams you know Mm -hmm, where, where i realized Oh, I'm in a dream right now. You know, I can do whatever I want. And in in one of those dreams, when I real, I, I was in a temple, and I realized, okay, I'm in a dream. What am I gonna do right now? And I just sat there and begin to meditate. Um, and then everything became this golden color, and you know, very much like the end of the experience that I try to make in Numenon. So it was really inspiring for me. It was a very rewarding moment in that dream when I chose to meditate. Everything just became a golden light, and it just—it it was a very significant dream that I had. I guess that informed me to build this experience from monochrome to that golden state. And do you dream in sort of this geometric <laughs> patterns <laughs> and shapes as well? I mean, it's such a—it'd be interesting. I, I, you said you sometimes dream in monochrome. 
But I'm curious I'm, if you also have these yeah. grids and shapes in your dreams. To be honest, um, a lot of my work is inspired by my dreams, um, especially, for instance, in Multiverse Series 2. Uh, and this is not happening at that moment. You know, I see something and I try to reproduce it the next morning. But I had these significant dreams years ago um, from, you know, these works. But uh, I sometimes I just see a sculptural form, but in a very much like Multiverse Series in a museum setting. And I have this kinetic sculpture floating in the air, you know, uh, and making all these impossible weird stuff. And I'm when I'm dreaming, and, and I'm very aware that I'm such a lucky guy. This is such an inspiring <laughs> scene right now. You're very thankful in your dreams to be yeah, gifted with yeah. this beautiful imagery. De- definitely, definitely. I'm I'm very appreciative, you know, when it's happening. So I, I feel like I'm just maybe lucky or i don't know where these ideas are coming from but uh you're lucky i mean my dreams are always just horrible things burning down (laughs) so that that, that happens to me as well (laughs) (laughs) i'm curious sorry go ahead every now and then i see these uh you know inspiring art ideas (laughs) oh it's interesting it's interesting that you're then constructing these either digitally or physically and we can actually sort of walk into your dreams i mean it makes sense with your fascination uh, about immersion. I'm yeah. curious um, if, if students or, you know, beginning artists want to get more into projection mapping, are there certain tools you should recommend that they learn or experiences that they, they should go forward with? Or what would be the advice you'd give somebody who's just starting out with this kind of work? Yeah, um, I mean, they can just start to play with lights and with a simple projector, they're becoming more and more affordable. Um, so even even if they're not doing anything with the mapping part of it, they can still create really cool stuff with using the projector as a light source in in you know spaces. It just creates even if you just project a white you know image, it creates all these sorts of you know um, um, shadows and lighting up the room in a different way so it's fun to really play with that you know uh, not just as a screen but as a light source and then um i personally use this software called uh, med mapper mm-hmm. it's it's super easy and it's really fun to be able to just project your images on an any on any surface any irregular surface and just fit that exactly to that geometry it's really fun you can also play with program lights uh, and led strips and stuff like that with MedMapper 2 so it's super easy um there are also i believe free softwares that they can find online for for projection mapping um touch designer a software that i don't really use that often but you know i have the license for you know for several of my installations it it is a super powerful software a lot of professionals are using for large-scale projects they can look up to that online there are enormous uh tutorials online for touch designer it's super popular so those would be my two suggestions. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I use uh, both of those for different installations. And what about in terms of content creation? Are you doing most of your 3D rendering in like Blender or Maya? Or Yeah. Um, I mean, 
my main software is usually Cinema 4D. Oh, okay. It is a very it's a very powerful uh, motion graphics software, and um, yeah, and I use Octane rendering for those uh, realistic um, sculptural renderings. That's great. Yeah, that'll help a lot of people. People always ask about sort of the programs behind the artwork, too. So I think it's useful. Before we go, I want to we have a sort of a tradition here on state of the art of doing rapid fire questions that aren't even necessarily about your work. So uh, Mm -hmm. I'm going to throw some quick questions at you. Just the first thing that pops into your mind. Don't overthink it. Um, They're kind of silly questions. Does it sound good? Okay. All right. So um, first one, you do a lot of work about immersion. If you could step into one world of a film, which film would that be and why? Oh, <laughs> um, I mean, it will probably be Star Wars. Uh, <laughs> Why? Because yeah, yeah, I, be, becoming a Jedi using a lightsaber seems very cool to me. Always. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Um, if you could morph into one animal, what would it be, and why? Uh, I definitely want to fly. So some sort of bird would be great because. I, I want to have that bird's eye view. <laughs> that makes sense. So you can be inside the top of the dome. Uh, exactly. What is the most important file currently on your computer? Uh, it's it's my keynote uh, for my talks. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm backing that file up all the, always because I'm really afraid to lose it. <laughs> and are you giving a lot of talks these days too? Um, not, not currently, but last year was more busy with talks. Uh, this, this year is more like hibernating for new ideas for me. Yeah, that makes sense. You got to go back and make some more work probably at some point, right? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Um, what's one piece of technology you wish existed that currently doesn't? Um, I mean, in in the art artistic sense holograms would be great uh, i i i really wish we i had holograms so i could create these 3d pieces um but teleportation would come really handy <laughs> why would where would you teleport to um just uh, why no where like, where <laughs> is where? a specific place you'd want to teleport to uh, I mean, it would be just great to just not wait in lines, you know, in airports and remove your shoes and all that stuff. It just makes me very stressed. <laughs> so you want teleportation so you don't have to take off your shoes so much? That's the... Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. All right, John, thank you so much for joining me today. Where can we find your work for people to go see online? We're going to post a lot of uh, images and videos of your work on our social media, which is state of the art. But uh, where can they find your work as well? Um, so it's hard to type my name, but uh, I'm, I'm sure they can Google it, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, if, they, if they can read it <laughs> on the podcast page. Sure. Um, and I, I have my own website and uh, I, I use Instagram pretty often. Uh, I'm posting about my work and my progress. So and they can give you feedback on Instagram. So it's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I really care about that. Great. Well, thank you again for joining us. Uh, and thank I hope that you so s- much for inviting me, Gabe. Yeah, stay safe and healthy out there. And uh, just a reminder to everybody to stay inside. And now's a good time to look up some new artists. Uh, so <laughs> be sure to go check out uh, John's work. And we'll post a link to his site as well. And um, take a listen to some of the previous episodes as well if you haven't heard them. Uh, we'll be back next week. See you then. Thanks for listening to another episode of State of the Art. I'm Gabe BC. Uh, you can always follow me at Gabe BC. Uh, If you have any ideas or suggestions or comments you want to relay to us, you can send me an email at gabe at thestateoftheart.org. 
Uh, we're happy to read some questions on the air or uh, communicate directly with you through social media at State of the Art on Twitter and Instagram. State of the Art is an at art production originally created by Ethan Appleby. Uh, Weston Stevens is our audio engineer extraordinaire and Vanessa Wilson is our producer. And I hope that they're all doing well and uh, I've been communicating with them a little bit and they seem like they're safe and healthy. And I hope our audience is also uh, doing well and staying indoors and being safe. So we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks.